Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. All right. Really looking forward to this. Uh, you know, we like to dive into the science every once in a while here on the show. This one's very cool. We're going to be talking about a volcano here for the next little while. That big one uh, in Tonga that happened over the weekend. And it was it was really big. I mean, we had tsunami warnings in British Columbia all around the world. Tsunami warnings as a result of this uh, volcano that happened. So let's get some details on this eruption and put it into scale and what we know about it and what may be on the way. We're going to chat now with Shane Cronin, who is a professor of earth sciences at the University of Auckland. Shane, thank you for your time today. I appreciate you joining us. No, no, great to talk to you. Uh, one thing I wanted to say is, my God, you poor people with uh, minus 22 degrees. I mean, here it's plus 22, and it's going to be warming up shortly. Have you ever experienced minus 20 degree weather? I have, actually, um, I, and uh, it's not something I want to repeat all that often. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's definitely not fun. And you know what? Last week, uh, Shane, not to get off on a tangent here, it was well below that. It was We were well into the minus 30s. Uh, last week it was awful, but then we went up to like plus nine. So I mean, it's ridiculous. It's been all over the map. Yeah, that's why they make you Can- Canadians tough. That's right. Yeah, we we've got no problem with it. We'll roll right through it. Um, okay, this volcano. Um, how significant? How big was this eruption on the scale of eruptions that we've seen in uh, recent times? Yeah, it's a good question, and and big's a difficult answer because. In terms of volume, in terms of the sheer amount of material that was produced in the eruption, it wasn't very big at all. So um, maybe we think it's uh, in the air erupted something like one half of a cubic kilometer. I know that's a large number to try and try and visualize, or a strange number to try and visualize, but an enormous amount. But on, on a volcano scale, that's actually quite small. Um, or you know, sort of thing that might happen every every few years, but uh, around the world. But basically, this volcano uh, threw all of that material out and an unknown amount of material in the bottom of the seafloor um, within less than ten minutes. And so, um, it had a kind of a two-stage process to to what made it work, and that eventually made it the, sort of one of the most powerful eruptions that we've seen. So in that kind of short space of time, it produced this enormous explosive power and the top of the eruption column reached uh, more than 30 kilometres in the atmosphere. Um, Some are estimating up to 39 kilometres, which makes it the biggest eruption in that respect uh, since 1991 eruption of Pinatubo in the Philippines. So um, very powerful um, a, a very short wonder, though, in that respect, So, which was quite lucky. Otherwise, the impacts would have been much, much more. Obviously, yeah. So now this is an active volcano, and I don't mean just on the weekend. It's been active for a while now, right? This wasn't the first eruption of this volcano. That's right. It has, these, uh, it, it has kind of two modes of operation. It has a series of small eruptions that happen, you know, roughly once a decade. Those have been ramping up a little bit. Uh, and so there was a, a, a good-sized one in 2009, and there was an, another one in 2014 and 2015. 
And these uh, these smaller eruptions, they kind of occur around the edge of what is actually a larger crater. So they are kind of smaller eruptions around the edge of a larger crater. And I think they represent the leaking of magma that's accumulating underneath the bigger crater. And uh, so from about the middle of December, there's been a few smaller eruptions. And, uh, and then there were two quite explosive events, much, much smaller than the 15th of January event. Um, but these two explosive events blasted material up to 17 kilometres high. So that kind of really raised our eyebrows and drew the attention to the volcano. So the local um, Tonga Geological Services had observers out um, and we were obviously watching closely with the, with the uh, satellite data um, and expecting you know, what was going to come next. Um, but I don't think we expected the sheer power of this event. Um, does it, is there any way of predicting, like, the fact that we saw this massive eruption that took place on the weekend, does that mean um, the chances of another massive eruption or a larger eruption are greater or smaller, or is there any correlation at all? Uh, no, I think there, there, there are some definite scenarios. So I, one of the big things we're concerned about is um, the change to the top of the volcano. So this massive eruption blasted apart the top part of the volcano, and uh, also probably caused part of it to collapse, either inward or downward. And so, um, you know, when I say downward, I mean down the flanks of the of the of the submarine mountain. Uh, and so, basically, that means the top part of the volcano is actually quite unstable now. And so, there is a concern that if that void left by the erupted magma is rapidly replaced by new magma coming in, then that unstable edifice could make more. Uh, explosive eruptions and so, and more tsunamis. So we're that's one of the live possibilities at the moment. Um, and then the other live possibility at the moment is that the you know disruption to the surface of the volcano actually has an opposite effect. That is, there are new places and cracks and so on in the grounds. So that when the magma rises, the gas has a freer path to escape. And so when the magma does get to the surface. It is less explosive and then has a, a kind of less violent interaction with the seawater than, than what we saw a few Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. A few days ago. So, um, yeah, we're working on these kind of two uh, sort of end members, if you like, of the scenarios mm -hmm. and just watching very closely. It's obviously very difficult when you're out in the middle of the ocean because um, there aren't the sort of seismic networks and, and uh, other kinds of monitoring tools that you can use on a volcano when it's above... Uh, when it's above the um, the uh, ocean surface. Now, and that's an interesting thing that I wanted to ask you about, in terms not only monitoring it and gauging what's going on, but just the eruption itself, the fact that it was submarine, it happened uh, below the ocean surface. What kind of an impact does that have on a volcanic eruption? I imagine, you know, just the cooling effect and the fact that the water is some sort of a barrier would reduce the impact atmospherically of a volcanic eruption, right? Do I have that right? Uh, yeah, so basically, if if you have your eruption really deep below the ocean, uh, so let's say 1,000 metres below the ocean, 
Uh, then you've got the pressure of the water that kind of suppresses uh, the gas expansion. So what's driving an eruption is the pressure of the magma coming out of the ground, a bit like water coming out of a hose, um, but also the bubbles of gas that are within that magma. And when they come out of the ground uh, uh, and they reach the Earth's surface, those, those bubbles are, uh, of gas are really expanding like crazy, and they have enough power to blast the rock apart. So essentially it's the inside gas and the magma which is driving the explosion of the eruption. Now, if you've got lots and lots of water on top of the volcano, it stops that process happening. And if the volcano is sitting outside the water and it's basically, you know, like a normal volcano on land, then that that expansion of gas process has nothing to hinder it and it, you know, yeah. produces an explosive eruption like normal. But if you've got it under, say, 200 metres of water, like the, the Hunger volcano was at the time, the top crater was actually, you know, the main crater was actually between 150 and 250 metres below water. That's not enough water to stop the gas expansion. And it's enough water to add an extra bit of spice to the eruption. Oh, because really? You have the you have the magma expanding and breaking apart, and it seems that um, the magma must have been about 1,100 degree, degrees C. Uh, the water is about 20 degrees C, and you have a sudden uh, shock occurring when the hot magma touches the water and so you basically turn that liquid water into into vapor into steam and in doing so you change that water's volume by about 70 times so suddenly you've got you've got the, the magmatic gas busy trying to blast the magma apart and then you've got all this extra fuel being essentially provided by the seawater and that really magnified the explosion okay hang on, so that's hang why on. Just... uh you know let me try and understand this. You're saying so basically, like the, the, whatever the magma, it, it's like in a in a steam bubble. Like what's in directly in contact with that hot magma is vaporized, and inside the water column you have magma inside of like a steam case kind of thing. Well, basically, you know, the magma is coming out in little pieces because it's already being broken apart by the gases inside of it. Okay, and so those little pieces of magma. Uh, are touching water and they are creating their little own steam bubbles. So yes, it's a it's not just one big steam bubble. It's actually millions and millions and millions of little steam bubbles. And so basically, you uh, volatilize and incorporate all of the energy of that of that uh, seawater that's being converted into steam, and you have this enormous extra energy to put into the eruption. So um, in this case, it's basically like, it's almost like a Goldilocks zone. So if the water's too deep, the explosion is dampened. And, and if the water's too shallow, uh, the uh, the explosion takes place normally. If the water is at that sort of right depth where you get um, not too much overpressure, but lots of water being added very suddenly to the very hot broken pieces of magma, absolute chaos then because the, you get the interaction and the expansion of the steam and that adds to the energy of the eruption and that's what's happened to make this so incredibly powerful that's amazing that's absolutely amazing hey last one before i let you go uh very quickly a bunch of people are texting me is this connected to yellowstone is this connected to yellowstone are volcanoes all over the earth connected does can we read anything into yellowstone based on what we're seeing in tonga 
Yeah, no, this is not connected to Yellowstone. Yellowstone's actually a, a, a sort of a, a special circumstance of of, um, of a so-called hot spot, as well as uh, other types of magma sources. Um, now, there are the so-called Pacific Ring of Fire, and this, this volcano is part of that Pacific Ring of Fire, where there are volcanoes all the way around the Pacific, including in, in Canada and um, over in British Columbia there. And, um, you know, this, these volcanoes are kind of re- uh, they're caused by the same process, the same Earth process, but they are not relate. They're all kind of operating on their more or less on their own schedules. So the Hunger Volcano has its kind of uh, a regular pattern of small eruptions uh, and sort of gradual magma filling into the edifice, and then a, then a large eruption every one thousand years or so. Yeah. Uh, and so that that sort of does its own thing, and it, it pretty much ignores the neighbouring volcanoes. They're all driven by the same sort of ultimate process, but they all operate under this. You know, each of them has their own plumbing system. Perfect answer. Um, Jane, I can't thank you enough. Great, great information. I appreciate you so much joining us today. No problem. Great to talk to you, and I hope everything goes well uh, in your minus 22. <laughs> oh, we'll be fine. Not to worry. <laughs> Thanks, Jane. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, see you later.